Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and a man who, like the rest of us, doesn't really want to talk about Spurs today. It's Nathan <laughs> A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Ah, uh, shut up, Wendy. <laughs> It's gonna be. It's gonna feel like a proper chore, Nathan. But we gotta. We gotta just tear the plaster off and get it maybe, done. Maybe. Maybe we'll feel better afterwards. Eh? We we have tens of listeners uh, <laughs> tuning in to hear us dissect the match. So we we gotta put up. Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, we are very proud to be partnered with Pleaties for our March podcasts. You would have heard us speak about Pleaties last week. Uh, if you're an ex-sub, you'll have also received an email from us about Pleaties. Delighted to be working with them. They are a clothing brand, a Spurs-centric clothing brand. Casual wear for the long-suffering Spurs fan. We love their designs. We all have some Pleaties clothing. Uh, they are inspired by the highs and lows of being proper coys. Uh, celebrating some of our historic nights, Amsterdam, for example, and one T-shirt which is an homage to the Tottenham High Road. It's glorious stuff. We we um, are very happy to be working with them. Uh, I'm very sorry to them that the the sort of the advert for them today is <laughs> is is tempered somewhat by us having to speak about the the defeat to Man U. Um, but do go and check out their stuff at pleatees.com. The name is a David Pleat reference, so it's spelt. P-L-E-A-T and then double E-S on the end, so pleat tees. Um, Bardi, you, you love a pleaties t-shirt. I do like a pleaties t-shirt, and you can even if you're feeling bad, you can still look good. Oh, beautifully done. Why didn't I think of that? That's why that's why why you're the guy that works at comms, Bardi. Exactly. That's but the the truth is I just sit here and listen. I have time to think about things where you whereas you've got to kind of work off the hoof and kind of operate quickly. I can just <laughs> sit back and pull the strings like Pierlo. Nice. So Pleaties have created a discount code specially for the extra inch listeners. It is extra twenty. That will get you twenty percent off. Also give them a follow on uh, Twitter, at Pleaties. Again, it's P-L-E-A-T-E-E-S. And drop them a tweet, say hi, and say you've come from the Extra Inch. That'll be nice. We noticed lots of people signed up for their um, website as well, which is a good thing to do because they've got some new designs coming later down the road. So do sign up to their website also. Um, we want to say thank you again to everyone who's leaving iTunes review for us. It's reviews for us. Very, very much appreciated. Uh, very nice of you. Um, yeah, please keep doing that. And I wanted to read out this email we received from Marcus Wilson, which uh, you'll see why in a second. 
um, why I want to read it. Marcus says, A couple of years ago, Bardi ran a competition to find the most interesting answers to the questions, where were you for Ajax away? Despite having a unique personal story for that match, I never got round to submitting an answer. For soon-to-be obvious reasons, I thought it was worth me sending you an email to share my experience. I work for a UK-based NGO that investigates the supply of weapons to non-state and terrorist groups. We do this to support governments in countering diversion and trafficking in arms. In May 2019, I deployed with the field team to Ukraine to investigate arms supplies to Russian-backed separatists fighting in the east of the country. The night of the Ajax away match, I was in Mariupol, a town now devastatingly familiar to many. That night, my colleagues and I requested our national partners, Ukraine Security Service, no less, to accompany us to a local bar to watch the match. At half-time and tunnel down, the head of our local delegation, a 200-pound Ukrainian intelligence officer who constantly wore a 9mm handgun on his hip and never a smile on his face, suggested we head back to the hotel. Let's give it 10 minutes to see if anything happens in the second half, I pleaded. Thankfully, he obliged. Fast forward to 90 plus 6 minutes and Lucas's goal, this stoic Ukrainian hardman was spinning around like Kylie on an empty nightclub dance floor as I screamed with joy atop one of the tables. The two of us, whose only faint common interest was football, will forever share that moment of elation in Tottenham's glory. In recent weeks I've thought much about him and the young locals who looked on, jaws dropped, as we hugged and yelled in glee that night. That bar may no longer be standing and the hope of the, those locals enjoying another night out will be a distant and perhaps unattainable dream. I've no idea if you have many Ukrainian listeners, and if you do, the extra inch will be far from their minds right now, but I would want them to know that their country and this pleasant seaside town is an indelible memory of the greatest night of my life. Beautifully put, Marcus. Absolutely beautifully put. Absolutely lovely email. Thank you so much for sharing. Really appreciate it. Um, Nathan, on Patreon this week, you did a... a, um, how do you how do you describe it? Record it live analysis is that is that a good way? Of... Yeah, yeah, a live analysis. Go with that. You did some some Matt Doherty analysis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Body's shaking his head. <laughs> I mean, the whole world got overexcited about Matt Doherty after one cross against Everton. It seemed like everybody was doing thought pieces on how he was this reinvented fullback. So I hold Nathan and many other tactical analysis experts out there fully responsible. <laughs> I mean, I did I did say at the end of the video that we'll just like immediately be <laughs> like he'll just. I mean, it was kind of, I could have just looked forward to who was the next fixture and then it was United that he was going to, you know. Uh, I mean, he didn't have a stinker, but, um, I, I mean, the, 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 the story of our season, at least under Conte, has been our lack of creativity from central midfield and the right flank. Um, and that was <laughs> most obvious, uh, against United, I think, as, as compared to any other game. Nonetheless, very enjoyable analysis. <laughs> well, I think that like he's the 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 performances against um, Everton um, leads kind of says like he could be he could he should be the one to stick around and be second choice, and we ship Royale out. Maybe that he can he can punish bad teams, perhaps. I think yeah. that's fair enough. I, I I agree with that that analysis. To be fair, my my um conclusion was that he would be quite good to have as third choice for both oh, yeah. right and left wing back. And I think that's sort of a compromise. It's kind of meeting in the middle. Uh, I think Emerson Real does need to leave for the good of his career. He's not suited to playing wing back. Uh, and that's sort of become clearer and clearer as time's gone on. Uh, perhaps we have some other players who aren't suited to playing wing back. Let's, let's talk about that in a little bit. Okay. Buckle up, boys. We've got to do this. It's not going to be fun. 
I feel I feel very very sad about Spurs this week. Um, let's start where we always do with the lineup. So one change: Sergio Regulon in for Brian Sessegnon. Bardi, were you feeling good pre-match? I was. I was feeling confident. I know it was United away, but I was feeling confident. I, I watched this in a pub and it's been a while since I've watched any football game in a pub. And it's been a while since I've watched a game with mixed fans in there. So there was United fans, there was Liverpool fans, Arsenal fans, neutrals, and a few Spurs fans. I'm down in, uh, I'm down in uh, Devon, just on the, the border between Devon and Dorset. So I watched it in Lyme Regis and it was... Oh, I love Lyme Regis. It's just pretty good, man. I've never been here before. I always had funny, funny feelings, or I don't know what I was expecting, but it's pretty nice. It's one of my favourite places, mate. It's lovely. Really? There, I, there's a big brewery here. I can see why you like it, Wendy. <laughs> so um, I watched it in this pub, and it had been a while since I watched it in mixed, in mixed kind of um, passions and mixed kind of territory. And yeah, I was fairly, I was fairly confident, especially with the Arsenal fans talking behind me. Obviously, they didn't know I was a Spurs fan, so I was listening into their conversations. Like, I think we're going to beat these lot, and. The lineup led me to believe that we were going to beat this lot. Lena, my my wife, she saw Ronaldo appear on screen and she went, "Oh my god, they have Ronaldo!" And I was just like, "Yeah, but it's just Ronaldo. It's just it's just one guy. The rest of the team is rubbish." But she goes to me, "But it's Ronaldo." And who knew that my wife knows more about football than I do because she was she was right. And yeah, one guy can defeat a whole army. Is she free on Monday nights? <laughs> she, she's busy, mate. She's busy. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I felt the same, Vardy. I felt really confident. I, I, I saw Man U's lineup without mm. Bruno and with Fred and, more importantly, Matic in midfield. And I thought, we have got this. This is this is no problem. We're going to win at Old Trafford and it's going to be fucking great when we do. And we're, we're going to be such riots. a strong... Yeah, I mean, I really thought... That we was cre- what I was thinking. I, I thought we were going to score a few. I thought we might concede a few, but I thought we were going to score a few. I thought, yeah, we can cut through this midfield like a knife through butter. They are there for the taking, and I felt really great about it, which is is why it feels so much worse to then lose the game subsequently. Um, Nathan, where would you like to start? Uh, the lineup is what we expected it to be, and that gave us, I think, a feel of confidence going into the going into the match. I guess. Um, I think. Um, I think probably. Uh, Regulon is still recovering from the virus and that he wouldn't be starting yet if Sessegnon hadn't picked up an injury. Um, but other than that, I think that's pretty much the 11 that we want to see at the moment. <sighs> I don't know. I, um, I think you can look at the expected goals for this game and say United scored three goals. Statsform have them at 1.1 expected goals. And so you can say that we were a little unlucky there, but I think that we made our luck at the other end of the pitch. We, we, this is not a, a great United side, you know, we really failed to, to, to take it to them. Um, and, and we shouldn't feel hard done by, um, because we, we squandered the sort of opportunity we had with the, the, the possession that we had. And I don't think that we could be too upset that, you know, that we conceded what we did. I felt very hard done by at half time, I must say. I, th- I thought I thought we'd done enough to uh, half time. To... Yeah, yeah. At half time, I was feeling like okay, you know, they they've 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 scored two from not very much. We can get back into this. We can take the game. We need to take the game by the scruff of the neck, and we didn't do that. And that's that's where my frustration mm-hmm. at Tottenham comes from. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, yeah, completely, completely agree. I, I um, 
we'll dive into the the goals and some detail in a moment um but just in terms of the flow of the match at half time i actually still felt we could win yeah. i thought i thought this is fine we, we we kind of it felt like we had them at arm's length and they just got us with a couple of sucker punches and a mistake obviously mm. there was a, a major mistake for the second goal which we'll come yeah. on to uh and and i felt like we don't need to panic. We just need to stay calm, stick to the game plan and get the job done. We've got Kane in unstoppable form. He's We're going to be fine. And then the second half just did not go how I expected. There were kind of periods of the game which were far too long when nothing happened. And when you're losing, you cannot allow a game to drift in that way. You cannot allow nothing to happen for that length of time. And unfortunately, Conte's response to nothing happening was to keep things the same, but throw on Lucas. And that led to more nothing happening, in my view. And, and I, I felt like he didn't have an answer to what was happening out there on the pitch, which was very disappointing. You know, Conte's shown that he's there's some brilliance there. We we know his history is some brilliance, but I felt like he really let the let us down and let the team down in this match with the way he managed it. To be honest, there's um there's that letting things drift is a really nice way to describe it. It was. Yeah, there was a nothingness. There was a void, and you know, I'm not. There's plenty of players we can go after, and the problem is, I've already set out my my narrative on on this player. But I'm going to throw both of them in this as well. But Betanko and Hjoiberg are two individuals that, in this game, when we were when we required things to happen, were unable to instigate that that something. And I do think, despite him playing pretty well in in other games, I do think we did see a failing there in Hjoiberg and his inability to kind of move things on progressively and you can show me all the stats in the world but he does lack that that drive and that killer ability just to make things happen and um, that added to the fact that our wing backs weren't doing great uh, Doherty for all the good things he did well he did a lot of good things all right but then there was just key things which he needed to be better at and he just he's just not good enough to do that and I think that's where Hjoiberg is that he could do a lot of things pretty well but when you need him to do something just that little bit better, he just doesn't have it in him. Either if it's a turning away and moving the ball in the opposite direction or just going past somebody or just creating something out of nothing, he, he doesn't have that. And the the one man who we've been able to rely upon all, 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 all the last 10 games, let's say, uh, to, to make things out of nothing, to, to, to just take the game by the scruff of the neck, as fans like to say, Harry Kane had a game where, in fact, the opposite happened. I, I felt Kane was, you know, the, again, whilst he did some good things, the two parts of the match that I just cannot stop going back to in my head are, one, early on, Son creates a bit of space, passes it to Kane, the shooting opportunity is there, like there's a gap in front of him, mm. the gold is in his sights, and he tries to shift it right to Kudasevsky, and I'm thinking, what, what, what Harry Kane is this? Take a shot yeah. on, you know, it's there. And then the other one was the incident where he's offside and he goes to meet the ball with the header and Doherty is right behind him and he's swinging his boot and he's probably going to bury it and have a really good chance um, and, and Kane takes it off him. Just two moments that everything's been going right for Kane recently. Absolutely everything's been going right for him and there were two key incidents where things didn't go right and um, it kind of shows that we're still so reliant on Kane playing well to... Um, to achieve anything, you know, and and Son to a degree who again had a really poor game. I thought. I think what what Man United did really clever was they they were able to when Kane got the ball they were able to almost mark the space where Kane could put the ball, mm -hmm. and they were very good at covering the runs and covering the runs in behind. They sat deep. The onus wasn't on them because they were never behind in this game. And I just 
I guess we're going to talk about the goals. And you could see when we equalised, Conte was quite animated, tapping his head, saying, focus, focus. Because I do think that second goal that we conceded was was really poor. And oh, it was at God, a really yeah. poor time, especially yeah. after we just started to, to dominate. I know, I know. Yeah, I mean, if you can take a positive from this game, the positive you take is that the team did show a lot of character to come back from behind twice. To be able to come back from behind twice in a row at Old Trafford does take some doing, um, and, and that is definitely one positive. But um, let's do the goals. So the, the first goal, the the Ronaldo strike from range. I did a Twitter thread about this earlier. Actually, yeah. I had a, I had a look at the, mm. the goal in some detail. <laughs> a bit like uh, a bit like I used to do back in the day on my blog. It felt like analysis of the goals conceded. Uh, Two thousand and fifteen windy coys. Um, it. <laughs> So there's a lot that's not right with with that goal from a Spurs perspective, and I think broadly speaking that they were, they they hadn't organised, and I would say Conte is included in this. They, the coaching staff, the team hadn't organised who was going to follow Ronaldo when he drifted between the lines. Was it going to be a midfielder mm. dropping back and picking him up, or was it going to be a defender stepping out and going with him? And because of that, we got into this pickle where he ends up totally unmarked. No one's followed him. He's got masses of space to have a have a, a shot from, and you know the the instant analysis from um, Alan Shearer on Match of the Day is Eric Dyer's got to close him down, and it looks so obvious. Eric Dyer's got to close him down. He's got to step forward and close him down. But then you look at the the run that Fred's made that that stops Dyer stepping forward because is Ronaldo just going to slip Fred in? And it makes you realise, okay, yeah, maybe Dyer did have a choice to make there, and of course it's easy to say it went wrong in hindsight, after he scored. But it was more of a structural problem, I, I felt. Um, so what happens? What happens is Varane is carrying the ball forward and Bentancourt has just been out to sort of press forward, but he's retreating back. And Huybier doesn't quite wait for Bentancourt to be back in position before going out and pressing Varane. Uh, in, in pressing Varane, Huybier opens up an opportunity to Fred to receive defeat. Ben Davis doesn't know whether to go with Fred. Stay. He's got a man. He, you know, he's he's got uh, Son to his to his right, who's got Dallow. But Son's not goal side of Dallow. So what does he do there? So Ben Davis stays, and what this means is Ben Tenko is late to get to Fred. He commits himself really poorly. Fred flicks it round, and there's Ronaldo in acres of space. Uh, Ronaldo's an incredible shooter. You know, uh, scumbag of a bloke, robot of a footballer, just plunders the top corner of the net. Bardi, I'm really interested to find out from you whether you give Larice any blame for that goal. I, I think there's I think there's a little bit of blame for Betanker, there's a little bit of blame for Hoiberg, a little bit of blame for Dyer, and then a hell of a lot to, to Larice as well. I think I think Hoiberg's attempted press on Varane, who's a centre back, is, is pretty weak. I think Betanker, I, I, I had a look at your Twitter thread. I think Betanker is a bit slow getting across, and then he's almost trying to make up or being a bit slow to get across by diving in. And then Dyer should read the situation as, as perhaps, in my opinion, the spare of the two. is just the middle one to step out. Um, Lloris has got beaten far too easy. He's He's been taken by surprise. Yeah, so it's a little bit on everybody. Could Lloris have saved it? Perhaps. It was a good hit. I don't think it was the greatest hit in the world. Did he go with the wrong hand? So he goes he goes with the top hand. And it looks, you know, if, if you put your arms out, it looks like you can get further with your, your bottom hand. Uh, no, because now you're not. You're putting your arms out in front of you, so you're putting your arms out on top of your head. You're you're diving like a lot of goalkeeping people on Twitter would, would never say. There's no such thing as wrong hand. Right. Okay. Actually, the higher it is, as you dive, you're putting the hand on 
the hand that goes above your head is the one you actually get more reach and more more stretch with. So I, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I, I, I did assume that because why would yeah. Hugo Lloris, one of the greatest goalkeepers to ever play the game, go with the wrong... Like, why, why would I... Uh, someone who knows nothing about goalkeeping say that he's gone with the wrong hand. But it's interesting because that is a really common criticism you see in these situations. It's, yeah, it's just people go... He's made plenty of saves with that top hand. Um, the Liverpool one against versus Coutinho is one that always pops into mind. He, we've just been taken by surprise. Mm-hmm. And it's it, the whole move starts with a bad bit of pressing from Pjoriberg and a bad bit of covering from Ben Tanker. And that, allowed, that opens up the space, in my opinion. And Ronaldo takes it beautifully in the same way that Kane should have done in the first half. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a really, that's a really good comparison. And um, the, the frustrating thing for me is... So United just had this standard line of five across across their front. This is what we see from nearly all teams you want to attack. Uh, they play that way. They have you know a, a high winger or a high fullback. They have two players inside, and they have their focal point, who in this case is, is Ronaldo. So they have Ronaldo in the middle. They have Pogba to his left, Fred to his right, and then they have their fullbacks, High Tellers and um, and Dallo. And that's fine. Spurs have have got. The spacing's just about right as a defence. I think it's fine until those three United players in the middle all choose to to move between the lines. So they drop off. They drop off into that space. And Spurs, in my view, were not organised in terms of what to do in that situation. Uh, so the defence end up in a line of six marking arguably one player. You could argue three because the fullbacks were still around. And it's 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 not acceptable that you know you go to Old Trafford and you're that, that disorganised. I and that wasn't the only time it happened in the match either. You know, we didn't cope with that United movement throughout and they didn't take advantage very often. Um, but this was a, an example of them taking advantage. It was really disappointing to see that. Nathan, any thoughts on, on that opening goal? How would you like us to have sort of approached that defensive situation? Personally, I would like Romero to be given the authority to come out with Ronaldo. I think Romero is the right player because he's quick and he's aggressive and he can get in sharply ahead of Ronaldo. Uh, it does leave us slightly exposed with Sancho, but I think it's better than what we saw. I think if I think if you're going to sit deep, then we sit deep. And if we allow Varane to have the ball there without breaking ranks. Yeah, if, I mean, that's if, the alternative, isn't it? If that's the choice, it in. was a kind of, yeah, it, we were we was pretty comfortable position and we were comfortable with Varane having the ball in that area. And then we decided to go chase it and no one else was set up to chase it. And then that created the gap. I would have preferred us just to hold hold line there at that moment. So we have we have in the last few games been doing this a lot more with the the midfield, central midfielder pressing higher and more aggressively. It's something we started doing when we played three five two against Liverpool, and and as we've adjusted back to playing three four three, the midfielders have been given more license to press. As as I assume um, they've got used to Conte's system and they understand the system a bit more. But it's horribly exposed in this instance with United playing with a holding midfielder and two eights, and none of our centre backs going with those players as they drop back into midfield. I mean, I thought Pogba played pretty well. I thought Pogba's use of the ball was good. I thought the way he holds up the ball was great. And perhaps them not having Fernandes ended up being pretty yeah. good for them. It yeah. worked in there. It worked for them. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, completely agree. Um, so, we, 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 you know, we get back into the game. Um, as I said, Kane took the penalty really well, I thought. And then three minutes later, just... How many times have we seen the team get an equalising goal? It's not long before half-time. The manager is tapping, the, tapping their head. They're saying, concentrate. They're saying, focus. 
they want the team to not make any mistakes at that moment. You once you've scored, you know the old cliche goes: you're at your most vulnerable when you've just scored. And there's, there's there's multiple mistakes in this movie, but there's two that I want to pick up on. The obvious one is Regalon not going with the rest of the the backline and stepping up. So Regalon, in my view, has the easiest job in that position because he's the one furthest from the ball. He's looking all the way across the line. He can see the positioning of all of his teammates, as well as Jaden Sancho making um, a run, and he can see the player on the ball playing the pass. So Regalon is calling for his teammates to step up, but he's not doing it himself. Well, he does do it, but he does it too late. Really annoying. Really, really, really annoying. Um, because he's just switched off. It's kind of, I don't know, he's not concentrating. And then the other mistake is is Matt Doherty letting Sancho run off him. You know, he, he kind of plays a hopeful offside, but you... So there's a way of playing offside where you don't fully commit. You don't like step forward and just give up. You step forward a little bit and then you run back in. Dotti just gives up on Sancho and he's, he's away from him. And it's it's so frustrating to see that kind of basic errors cost you goals. I must admit, when it first went in, I was like, that's fine, it's offside. It's got to be offside. Yeah, I thought it was off too. And then you I see it yeah. and it's like, it's it's clearly on. It's not even close. It's clearly onside. Maddening. Absolutely maddening. Yeah, I mean... I don't, I don't want to go rushing into like mentality and spursiness and the rest of it, but it's, it's, it, once again, it, it's a very strange pushing up to play offside. I don't know if we had been playing offside throughout that. And it's a very strange thing to attempt to do there. I think we would have been better off just, just sitting deep again and just, and just seeing out the next few minutes as they rallied. I don't even think playing offside was necessarily a bad call. I think it was probably fine, but you know, is it communication? Is it is it Regulon's concentration? You know, I suppose what you could say about Regulon is he's not played much recently, so he's perhaps he's slightly out of kilter with things. If Sessegnon had been playing, would it have been a different story? I don't know. I don't know. But it's as a fan, conceding that kind of goal when you've just got back in the game is absolutely maddening. And, you know, I can imagine Conte was furious at halftime. I, I fully expect that, you know, teacups were being thrown around the dressing room. It was unacceptable levels of um of defending um and then the second half is just a bit meh really is sort of it took us so long to get back into the game and i kept thinking we're, we're gonna do it we're gonna do it we're gonna be fine we're gonna be fine and it went on and time went on and i'm thinking we're not gonna win this now the best we're gonna hope for is a draw and then eventually we <laughs> we forced the own goal and i'm thinking great you know there's enough time to maybe go on and win you know Maguire, Maguire hanging a hanging a foot out. Uh, I'm interested to get your your view on whether that type of goal should be called as offside. Um, because because Romero was was in in the middle waiting for it. So had had Maguire not intervened, it would it would have been offside. Yes, exactly. Probably, that. yeah, probably should be. So yeah, I I I completely agree. I think Maguire doesn't make that movement towards the ball if. Uh, if Romero is not there in an offside position. So we are gaining an advantage from Romero being there. Uh, so I, yeah, I agree. I think it should probably be offside, but. Uh, but then, then I, I don't know, then you're just creating another VAR situation, which is <laughs> going to repeat on countless times on, from corners, from free kicks and everything else. Um, I could, 
I, I don't want to see those types of goals disallowed. Not just because Spurs scored it, but I do think <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna be we're gonna be sitting in a for, in a VAR loop forever if if we start disallowing those goals. Mm-hmm. Because the, he could have cleared it and it could have come back into play, gone out towards a penalty spot, and then someone tucks it away. Then what? You're gonna disallow it because he's made the interception. It's come back to the penalty spot, and then Kane's tucked it away. At what point does the VAR get in? in involved he should have had something from the goalkeeper should have told him to leave it or he should have had the awareness to to leave it or to clear it better and not smack it into his own net (laughs) it was the only real true moment of joy when Romero jumped over him and and actually (laughs) did a nice bit of shithousing I missed that at the time I completely missed that there's been a lot of people getting upset um, I've, I've been on a bit of a social media blackout on, on most things but I, I, I did feel inspired to tweet at that moment and um, a lot of people like saying oh well you let in there from the corner but if you can't celebrate in the moment then then we might as well just all pack up and just give up football for good because it's like score, scoring an opening goal in, in the North London derby or, or a game you're not going to celebrate just in case you end up losing the match nah man yeah 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 point. completely yeah, so agree it's, it's fine it's allowed completely agree I've got no problem with Romero's behaviour there at all, you know. No. Absolutely try and get in their heads and, and do as much shit housing as you can. Yeah. Um so we come on to the the decisive goal. We had a question from Charlie Coop eighteen eighty two who says, Is our issue with set pieces more to do with a lack of aerial dominance in individuals and the goalkeeper? Other than Caden Dyer, no one seems great at this. Has Romero been highlighted as he's just the third best at it and would an actual centre back on the left improve this? Mm. And now I think there is something in that, I really do. Um mm. I did mention last week or the week before that Romero's only weakness as far as I can see is his set piece marking. Um what I would say about this situation so Nathan's really good at analysing set pieces, so I want to hear what he's got to say in a moment. But it's quite difficult to analyse what we were attempting to do from set pieces here because United only had two corners, I think. In the previous one, they had this group of three players sort of around the edge of the box uh, who then sort of broke forward and tried to run in different ways. And in the one they scored from, they had five. They had five players. So we had five, and it seemed like we were man-marking them, although it's difficult yeah. to tell when they're clustered like that. Uh, and one of the players, um, Varane, breaks out from the middle of the pack and runs to the front of the pack. And what that means is the marker, he's got to make a decision. Does he go with his man, or does he pass on and let someone else take that one? And you sort of, in the moment, you reorder yourselves, and you say, okay, well, now I'm the third man and not the second man. Ultimately, you just try and meet the ball, don't you? You just try and get as close to the ball as you can. Um, But... By the time Doherty tried to do that, he couldn't compete. You know, Ronaldo's one of the best. He's one of the best in world football, one of the best of all time at getting up early and hanging in the air. And it was a remarkable... I'm not going to take anything away from the header. It was fantastic. It's a fantastic header. But um, really disappointing. Did you have any thoughts, Nathan, on the, the setup from corners or... Or, just or, or if it's just, is it just height? Uh, maybe. Maybe there is a collective shortcoming with our... Um, a sort of aerial dual ability, but also we are exacerbating that by leaning so heavily into man marking. So I think there were two zonal roles on that corner, and the rest was just man marking. And, and United have come with a a decent bit of preparation, and that's that's it, you know. So yeah, maybe maybe um maybe our best defender is not great from set pieces defensively um and therefore we sort of are looking a bit ropey there on an individual basis but that just means that they need more uh systemic help um mm-hmm. for how we're defending corners here mm-hmm. yeah too many latinos they can't head at the ball they're not used to these set piece <laughs> corners 
I, it was a remarkable header. It was a remarkable goal. Um, I hate him. I hate him so much. Piece of shit. Why did it have yeah, to be him? And 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 he's like he's been fucking terrible for United. He's been dog shit. Every moment that he hasn't been scoring a goal, he's been hugely detrimental to everything they want to do in and out of possession. <laughs> and then he scores a fucking hat trick against us. I hate yeah. him so much. He makes me sick. He's horrible. He shouldn't. He shouldn't be. Uh, I'm not going to say what I'm going to say. I really hate the fact that um, United fans do that tacky CU thing after he scores as well. It's 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 so naff. <laughs> Um, Grump and Tired Pa says, and this is a question we've had from numerous people over the last few weeks, with poor wing-back play, is Conte being too stubborn and should we move to a back four with another body in a more traditional midfield? Is he f- is he falling for the trap of wanting his system to work regardless of suitable resource? Maybe a little, maybe a little, but I think that you... If you're going to propose that alternative, then we have to work through that and talk about what that looks like and who you're bringing in. Are you bringing in Winks to be at the base of a three and who becomes the width providers? You're pushing Sun out into a wide position where he's no longer much of a goal threat, but perhaps he's doing a better job of creating from a wide position. Um, Kulosevsky, I guess he's kind of do, going to carry on doing what he's already doing, but from a wider position. Um I'm not saying that we shouldn't be looking at it, shouldn't be trying it, shouldn't be considering it, because again, yeah, there's definitely a lack of flexibility um, for what Conte, for what works for Conte and also what Conte thinks works for him. Um, but I'm not like, wow, look at this 4-2-3-1 I just mocked up. What an incredible formation. That Look at how well this suits. Mm. Like, there's not that going on. The, the back three, um, the 3-4-3 three, three and the 3-5-2, which we haven't seen for ages now, um, is as good an 11 as I can imagine for Spurs at the moment. We just have to improve our personnel on uh, right wing back and attention midfield. And I feel that in January, um, Kulusevsky has been brilliant. Um, really, really impressed with him. Uh, Bentenker is a, is a solid, solid player. And if we hadn't brought him in, then we'd be playing... <laughs> Winks would be getting <laughs> so much shit <laughs> from Spurs fans because <clears throat> he'd have played every game. Um and every loss would be on him personally, of course. Um, but 
he's not a creative player. He's not a, a, a silky, skillful, um, con- uh, play controlling, um, the, the type of player that we kind of need in there. Or, um, the other option for that role, which is like a super, super neat and tidy, uh, Brozovic, who just never, ever loses the ball at all and just is, is so reliable. Um, creative still, like, he's still playing balls over the top, but he, um, is like really press resistant, a player like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, we brought in two good players, but I just feel like we had these obvious, obvious things that were going to continue to hold us back every time we had a dominant share of, of possession for the rest of the season. And we didn't address either of those two issues. And I feel like that is, um, I don't know, uh, maybe, maybe it was too much of an ask. Maybe those just options weren't there in, in January. Rudy Gomerich went to Newcastle. Um, maybe that wasn't viable for us for whatever reason, or maybe we don't want to buy any more really good looking midfielders from Leon after what happened last time. <laughs> Um, but this is just not going to be a, this is not going to be a solved problem into at least next season after we've had a window and, and it's, it's got to be addressed. I still think had Sun not had like a totally drop sandwich of a game, we, we might have won that. I, I haven't seen Sun play this bad since perhaps his debut, uh, at Sunderland. He, he was a mess. <laughs> he I... was sliding all over the place. He was falling over. He was uninvolved. And when he was involved, he was giving it away. It was, a, it was an awful performance from him. And, you know, it's kind of where he is now in this setup is that he is scoring and assisting and not really anything outside of that. And so he's, it's completely, going to come down to you know whether he scores or assists in a given game um because he's not really offering like so when he plays as like a winger um he can do the width providing he can he can beat his man his crossing is decent from that position so he's sort of contributing to 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 build up play a bit but he's just not able to really do that in in this setup um, he's still able to score because he can still run in behind. He can still do the the final pass in inside the box as well. Um, but essentially, he he now lives and dies on whether or not he scores, which is a sort of a tough mm. position to be in. Because you look at his goals record over the time that Conte's been at the club, and he's been you know he's in as good a run of runner form as he's ever been for Spurs. Um, but kind of like fucking Ronaldo, any moment that he's not scoring, he looks kind of rough. Yeah, I do think we we also lack goals from elsewhere at the moment. Sure, definitely. If I mean, I think I saw somewhere and I popped into our Discord and someone was being mugged off by Arsenal fans saying Connor Cody would be our third top goal scorer. And he has three league goals this season. Our current third top goal scorer, I believe, is opposition own goals. There we go. But, and it's a huge problem for us. Um, Lucas, we know his output's not great. And Bergwijn, apart from the... He, Bergwijn's I mean, not getting enough minutes. Yeah. He's not getting enough minutes. That's the problem. I think he. I think Bergwijn can return goals. I think Kuliszewski's returning goals at an okay rate. And, yes. you know, is it part of the thing is that our our tertiary scorer in this setup um, was Lucas and is now Kuliszewski. So their goals are split between two players. Yeah. Uh, the first 10 games of the season... We had um, an anti-shots manager, right? So uh, there, there are some sort of conditions that have had us arrive at that. But definitely, we lack uh, we lack goal scorers. 
I don't know. I think um, maybe you look at, at Conte's other sides and you say basically Lukaku and Lautaro scored almost all of Milan's goals, and then Barella's Barella. also there. Yeah. And then and then you look at his Chelsea and you say, well, basically Costa, uh, Hazard, and Pedro scored all of the goals, and, and there wasn't anyone uh, else to that. I, th- I do think he gets more goals from his wing backs as well. He had Alonso scoring mm, goals for him. I don't know the yeah, I don't know the numbers at, at Inter, but yeah. I, th- I think our fullbacks will start to score goals. Reguilón got one the other day. Sessegnon is getting in good positions, but it's just it's this whole thing of of learning on the job at the moment, and sometimes we're we're just messing it up. And I, I do think I do think the United game it's bad, and I but I'm not too down about it. It was one of those exceptional games where we have a moment which is off, and Ronaldo has a brilliant evening. I I, I understand that's a popular sentiment. I I I feel that we. I don't feel that way about this game. I just feel that we okay. were so so sluggish in possession that that we we wear the blame completely for that. Um, I don't, this is kind of the the goals thing is kind of why I thought that that keeping Delhi in the squad made sense because he can and come in and be a you know a member of the midfield three who arrives in the box. Um, but that wasn't to be. And I think that looking back now, that wasn't to be because it was sort of already kind of destined to be the case that, that he wanted to go that the 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 board wanted to go and it was just time to part ways kind of thing so even if he made sense in the squads it just wasn't how it was going to be um, but he does leave a shy I, I again i think that that bergvein is a is a is a goal scoring option um i don't know i'm not i'm not huge not hugely worried about this again i think if we improve our creativity in in more supportive areas it, it, at right wing back and in central midfield um, then, then first of all, Kudelski becomes our third highest scorer pretty quickly, um, and we also don't care because Kane and Son are just putting up absurd numbers. I've just been, um, I've just been letting you both talk because it's been really interesting to hear your your views on on all things Spurs, really. But I think um, taking it back to the question about the, the wing backs and the sort of persistence with the the three four three rather than a potential four two three one. I think Bardi summed it up. It's exactly what I was going to say. You know, we go back a few weeks and we had our first goal where a wing back crossed a wing back and we scored. And then last week, Reguilon came off the bench and scored within a minute. And Matt Doherty was being trumpeted as um, the yeah. best right wing back we've had of all time. <laughs> and and it's like you can't swing from one extreme to the other sure. and and be rational. It's you've got to take the good with the bad. And and they're still learning the system. You know, I I don't think. The system. I don't think we're fixed by playing four two three one. However, I will say, and I have said this for a long time, I don't think this shape suits Son. I don't think it gets the best out of Son. No. I think the three five two definitely gets more out of Son. I think four two three one certainly gets more out of Son. And as Nathan says, when Son's not scoring, you do question what he actually adds to a team in in this particular system. But there is a huge problem with three five two. That 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 needs three central midfielders, and we barely have two. Well, the, I mean, the the solution would be you play Kulusevski as a as an auxiliary midfielder, but you're then reducing the impact he could have out the pitch, and he's been brilliant. And he's been brilliant moving wide, mm. um, and that's harder to do from from a, you know a slightly more central position. Yeah, uh, and sort of defensively getting back to that. So uh, I, I said last week, you asked me who I think deserves to play left wing back out of Regulon and Sessegnon, and you were surprised when I said Sessegnon. And I think this game, more than any Regulon game I've seen in the past, highlights to me that 
he's not <laughs> I don't think he's a natural wing back. I think he's he's a mm. he's a very effective fullback. I really like Reginald as a fullback. He's very busy when he's on the ball, you know, there's lot it's, everything happens at a really super fast pace and it looks really effective. Yeah. But his the way he enters the final third, I don't think is is useful in a, in a wing back system. I'm surprised, you know. I really thought he would thrive. I really, really thought he would absolutely thrive in in this setup because he his his general um, attacking prowess would you know surely only be accentuated. But yeah, but I think being ahead of the play isn't that optimal for him. Mm-hmm. For for him liking to receive the ball to feet and carry it. And he needs players near him as well. He, you know, he needs a wide player ahead of him who can link with. He did. I um, think it's his cross that forced the own goal, right? Yes. Mm. Okay. It's well, <laughs> marking that one down for him. Um, I don't. Know. I'm not. I'm, I'm not worried about left back in general. I'll say that much at least. I yeah. have, I really liked um, Wendy's description of um, of Reggion arriving at a place and it's just not useful. He <laughs> like removing the stereotypes of, of of Spanish waiters and everything else because this is not where this is going. Okay. But he, <laughs> it is like um, a waiter goes in the kitchen and it's just fucking chaos there's plates and everything being being tossed around but what you need is when when the plates are served up and then you enter into the dining room you need a bit of you know a bit of French kind of maitre d style calm to deliver properly and you're right Reggion just brings the chaos onto the, of the kitchen straight into the <laughs> restaurant and there's smacking spoons and plates flying all over the place and that's what he is he arrives in the final third chaotic uh where Sessignon doesn't yeah you're right I really like that description Wendy. he he's um he he doesn't you know it's, when they say um some players sort of just seem to have time on the ball because mm. of, because of their class because they're uh, you know Kulisevsky just seems to have time on the ball yeah he, he plays the game his own pace one of those one of those players Regalon's the opposite of that like yeah. he he seems to have less time on the ball than everyone else because he's just like trying to sort his feet out all the time and he can't quite get in the right position it's like oh do I yeah. do I do I quickly pass it inside or do I try and run up the line now or or I could do this and he's too frantic and sometimes he just needs to slow it down Set, mm. what I've really liked about Sessingen recently is with this kind of increased confidence he's like I know what my job is I'm just going to get I'm going to get into the final third at the right time to receive a pass mm. and then I'm going to put a ball in the box or I'm going to maybe drop a shoulder and cut inside and then perhaps a shooting opportunity comes up on my right foot. You know, and it, and he seems to have that calmness and is able to take his time and think about things, whereas Regadon is so frantic all the time. I really like him as a player and as a character. Yeah. I, 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 I'm very fond of him. Um, but I think he is more suited to a, a fullback role, personally. I mean, I definitely still think he's a really good player. You know, I I think um, there is something to be said about him. You know, being quick back from having the virus going yeah, into this game. For sure, I think that's sure. worth bearing in mind. But you're definitely right about like the speed of play. Like everything he does is like it's ninety plus six against Ajax kind of thing. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. it doesn't it doesn't have to be that way all the time. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Um, and but you know, Bardi. Doherty was not horrible in this game. He he did something like there were a couple of moments where he received the ball in his stride with a really nice first touch. And I thought, okay, this is this is the same improving Doherty I've seen a few times. But then he's not going to create, is he? He needs others to. He needs to be the one on the end of stuff. Really, yeah. um, he's not going to come up with the moment of magic out of nothing by himself. He's just not that kind of player. And we the, the creativity was lacking in other... I mean, I thought Kulisevsky was our best player, to be honest. I was yeah. really surprised that he was taken off. I liked what he did when he saw the ball, but he didn't see enough of the ball. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the collective front three, just like they weren't getting it 
in and around the box enough yeah. they were all you know receiving too deep to to get touches and stuff i think I, I get leaving Son on because he's such a wonderful striker of the ball from range. And so you kind of want to leave him on in case he, a shot comes his way. But like, fine, bring Lucas on if you must, but make it for a wing back. Not Kudusevsky, who's been really useful. Move, or move Kudusevsky to wing back. Uh, I didn't didn't like the subs at all. I thought Bergvine would have made sense for Regulon, I thought, possibly. I don't know. Not don't a know. huge amount of options either. To be fair, well, the other option is you bring on Harvey White and you, you or or Harry Winks, and you have an extra man in midfield, and you try and match up a bit, a bit more in midfield and, and gain dominance in that way. But he doesn't seem keen on switching the formation. It's, it's mainly just uh, personnel. Um, of course, it was all compounded when Arsenal went and beat Leicester at a canter as well. It's just, and you know, I've been so confident about uh, thinking we'll finish top four. Uh, my confidence is somewhat dented, shall we say, after this weekend. I don't think it's impossible. I think if if Arsenal lose to Liverpool and we beat Brighton and then we beat Arsenal, you know we're in a pretty strong position for for overturning that deficit still. But it's never good to be relying on other teams to mess up. That's it's uh, not a good position to be in. And frankly, they just look more consistent than we we do at the moment. They they get the job done and we're not. And that's I what think, it comes down um, to. I think it's one of those games where we needed to get something out of. Just I agree. Not like a statement win, but just just avoid defeat. There. That's it. That's it. Yeah, that's what I said in the Discord at halftime. You know, as long as we don't lose this game, it's not the end of the world. You know, drawing wouldn't have been great, but it would have been fine in the in circumstances. Yeah, and I sort of um, I disagree a little bit with Nathan, and I, I I feel like we deserve more from this game. And like, I take Nathan's point about um, the expected goals, not sort of talking to the reality of the match. And I did think in the second half that we were lack, really lacklustre. But overall, I felt like we generally had, you know, control of the first half and were sucker punched a couple of times, one by a bit of brilliance and one by a mistake. And in the second half, they just sat back and we struggled to break them down. Um, so that's how I would characterise it. And I, and I would say, man, you sort of managed the game. They, they, they Mourinho'd us, basically, didn't they? They sort of, they they used the game state against us. Okay, so, um, running sides... And I'm saying running sides. I'm talking about not just sides that he's actually managed himself, but uh, where he has been sort of director of football. Um, and what we've seen from United is that, that, that a lot of what they do defensively is about setting traps um, so they can turn the ball over in sort of midfields and in front of midfields and counter from there. Um, so I understand there's a bit of sort of tentativeness. Um, and I also think they did a really good job um, denying access infield from the wing back positions mm. again. Obviously, you know, Regulon is is rushing about 100 miles an hour when maybe there's a simple pass in field, and Doherty um, <laughs> can't play against Everton every week. Um, but I thought that they protected that area really well. I thought that the the Fred and Pogba had really strong performances up and down the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also just think that we've we we've got to we've got to aspire to better than that. Basically, I think that you know once United are pushed back into their own final thirds, um, they look ropey, and we should have got them there more often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would also agree with Bardi's point about central midfield being an issue in this match. Um, you know, we know we know what we get from Huibert. He's 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 very good at playing the way he's facing. He's pretty solid defensively. He can pick a pass when he's got time, but he's not going to take the ball on the half turn and drive you forward. He 
it's sort of almost physically capable of turning on the ball on the half turn. It's just not the way he plays the game. And Bentoncourt, I believe, has been overrated so far by a lot of our fans. I really like him. I think he's there's a lot to admire about his play you know he does take the ball in the half turn he wants to have the ball in the half turn regularly he wants to sort of tempt players in towards him and then he does and then beat them uh but i don't think he's very good defensively uh i, I don't even know how much of an upgrade he is in harry winks defensively to be honest and i think that's a problem you know we saw him get sucked into to fred and commit wow. himself for the goal <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> That's blazing hot, windy. I don't know about that, mate. <laughs> he, he, you know, he, he got sucked into to Fred, and then almost the same thing happened again minutes later. He he committed himself in midfield, and and I think that's a concern. But he obviously he's much better on the ball. You know, that's the upside. He's he's really comfortable in possession. He wants it. He wants it in his feet. He wants to, to carry it. He wants to sort of play pop off little passes here and there and pass and move and make things happen and there's a lot more to come from him I'm sure he does dally though he really dallies he's a bit of a dally for sure I, I still think it was a little bit harsh the flick the Fred flick was nice it was, it was a nice flick it's Betanko rushing over to cover a, a player that wasn't in his his area and he got done by a nice flick I still think the issue was Scheuberg going to press Varane. Like, he's, why? He, he's why on the that? he's on the watch list though, Bentancur for me. He's on know. the watch list. He has benefited from the fact that he's Bentancur and he's not Winks. <laughs> I still think he's miles better than Winks than than this current version of Winks. Of course, we had a very good Winks for for two weeks a few months ago, who was pretty good. But this current Winks is back to being rubbish. But don't at him on Twitter. There's no need for people to at him. Oh, for God's sake, yeah. I hate it when people do that. Just leave footballers alone. Stop atting them, generally. Unless they say something nice and you want to say something nice back to them. Do that. Mm. that that's cool. <laughs> Stop atting footballers and telling them their shit. It's horrible. <laughs> um, one of our listeners got in touch and said this. Over the past few weeks, as our form has hit new levels of inconsistency and our manager's message varies with each game, I've heard Spurs podcasters and football content makers casually use the word bipolar more and more. Um, not yourselves, he says. Bardi referenced this on the, light, on the last podcast, though he didn't use the word in that way. My partner has bipolar disorder. It's a very, very serious mental health condition with extremely high suicide rates. It's also a condition which doesn't seem to get loads of airtime and thus, in general, is misunderstood. To use the word in conjunction with football and football managers is not only extremely misguided, more importantly, it contributes further to the misunderstanding and trivialisation of the disorder. Uh, he links us to bipolaruk.org um, and, and so we wanted to sort of put that out there into the world and... Um, I encourage you to sort of think about the types of language you're using when describing a game of football. It's, you know, bipolar is uh, a, a serious, very serious mental health condition that, that shouldn't be taken lightly. And I'm sure people don't intend to do that, but it's uh, just a case of being careful with language, I think. Buddy, you did I point that out. Yes, that's exactly. The, when I referenced it, it was people using this term to describe Tottenham and describe individuals. I think it was in relation to, to Conte and I, I criticised it then. Mm. Boys, I think we've done well. We've trudged through it as best we can. Any final thoughts? Um, let's record again when we beat Brighton. <laughs> <laughs> If honestly, if we lose to Brighton, put the whole team into Elon Musk's rocket and fire them into the sun uh, and include Antonio Conte with them. So uh, remember to check out our merch partners, Pleatees, uh, Pleatees.com. Use their discount code extra 20, which will get you 20% off. Love from the Extra Inch. You've been listening to the Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. 
Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm. Mm. 